There is a power that is controlling all this universe. How it works, I don't know. Prefer not to think about it. It's there, and I like it, and I'm trying to be part of it. Just need to believe. Just believe, and hopefully things will work in the future. Things will get better. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. It's there. Just need to believe. You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. a bit of a different episode from normal in store for you today because I am going to take you with me on a really fun experience that I had recently. We are going on a Lebanese cookery class today. So let me explain. Basically, my guest this week is Ahmed Sinu. We met through one of my all-time favourite organisations, My Grateful. And My Grateful run cookery classes led by refugees, asylum seekers and migrants who are otherwise struggling to integrate or access um, employment. And basically, these cookery classes are absolutely amazing. They not only provide the teachers with ideal conditions for learning English and building confidence, but they also promote connection and cultural exchange um, within, you know, the new host community of that person. And as a participant, you learn something new and you get to eat what you make, uh, which is an absolute win-win for me, basically. Um, So I've been to a couple of these classes in the past, um, a couple in person. I've also done one online and they're awesome. Anything that revolves around food makes me happy and these classes bring together everything that I love, cooking, eating and meeting new and interesting people from all over the world. So a couple of weeks ago I went to Ahmed's Lebanese cookery class to learn how to make vegan moussaka and tabbouleh and um, Ahmed is an asylum seeker He left Lebanon six years ago after being shot on two separate occasions, leaving him in a wheelchair. He worked for the Lebanese Red Cross and he learnt to cook when his parents passed away when he was young. So the first part of this episode is the cookery class itself. And the second half is a beautiful conversation that I had with Ahmed the following day. But first, let's go back to the evening of the class. I'm on my way to Ahmed's uh, My Grateful Cooking Class. 
this evening. I'm meeting Josh there. It starts in 15 minutes. It's quarter past six. It's a lovely evening, and I love the fact that it's literally walking distance. It's basically down the road in this beautiful old church building that me and Josh have actually been to before we did a Sri Lankan cookery class, cookery class there and uh, ate our body weight. Like, literally, it said in the notes, bring Tupperware because there will be leftovers. But me and Josh forgot to bring Tupperware, so we just made it our mission for there not to be leftovers and just eat every single thing that we cooked, which we achieved. So we'll see if we can do that again today. But I'm really looking forward to hearing Ahmed's story and seeing him in action. to run these cooking classes and to feel comfortable to do that. Because um, due to social or linguistic barriers, most of the individuals we're working with are unable to get employed in the UK. So by doing these classes, they're able to get a bit of employment, but also hopefully able to get the skills to lead them on to more bigger, better things in the future. So yeah, I'm hoping that tonight you guys leave with, well, happy, hungry, <laughs> happy hearts um, and bellies. Um, and that I hope you leave also knowing how to do these recipes again. And I hope you, yeah, get a better awareness and an understanding of what these people have to go through to become integrated in society. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Let's go round and quickly hear from everyone. Do you want to say your name, where you're from, and let's hear what you're, you're expecting of this class this evening. So, I'm Meg. I'm from, I live in Deptford. You already have my name. Probably. <laughs> um, let's start here. I'm Jamie. From, I live in Sydney. Um, just come here to, to learn more about Sydney's food and spend my career here. Welcome. I'm Joshua, nice to meet you. I'm here to, yeah, definitely uh, try, um, you know, I take part in like food, also to help people connected to you and your story with this and a bit more. Welcome, Tashwa. 
Mm-hmm. as well. And it's not our best time we've done this before, so we know how well. I mean, I think this class will be different, but last time we had amazing food and a really lovely experience. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Great. Hi everyone, I'm Shravia. I live in North London. Um, I've been trying to do this for the last couple of years, but because we couldn't, we just haven't been able to, to be a part of this. But just really excited to get to know your story, your food. Welcome. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Adam. I um, live in Clapham. Um, like Shravi, we've been trying to come on these courses for ages. Um, and like this lady over here also love aubergines. And actually, I'm growing, <laughs> growing a load of aubergine plants at the moment. So fingers crossed they will... In a greenhouse? Know, some in the greenhouse, some outside. It's an experiment, so we'll yeah. see. But hopefully they will grow and I'll get to use skills from this to use them. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Hey guys, welcome everyone. I'm Ahmed. I'm going to be your chef for tonight. First, uh, sorry, I'm in severe pain, so please bear with me if you see me stopping for a while. Tonight's class, it's not going to be the usual class. I'll be testing your knowledge and skills, uh, asking you questions, and giving you tips and tricks that you can use within the kitchen. And also we'll be talking a little bit about the Lebanese cuisine, or how to cook the aubergine, and how to make them the best way possible. What are we cooking? Okay, today we'll be having uh, moussaka, the Lebanese moussaka, and we'll be having tabbouleh, which is our Lebanese traditional salad. But we can have these two dishes with a twist. But it's not that traditional Lebanese moussaka and tabbouleh. But definitely through the process, I'll be telling you how is the traditional one and what are the, the changes that I made. Okay, so Mike, back to you and <laughs> let's start. Going. Well, let's get cooking. So, uh, we'll be starting in having the moussaka. Originally, the word moussaka in Lebanon means something cold. In Lebanon, we uh, serve the moussaka as a cold dish as a starter. We don't serve it the warm. Now, the Lebanese moussaka is pure vegan. No cheese, no meat. First thing we'll be doing is we're going to start peeling the aubergine. Ahmed is an amazing and very patient teacher, but he realised very quickly that he had his work cut out for him with me and Josh, who reverted straight back to being at school and somehow became the class jesters and did a great job of getting everything wrong. <laughs> so when you finish chopping them, please put them in the pot with the fire off. No, the pot. Not the frying pan, in the pot. <laughs> so put them inside the pot. No, 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 uh, long. Long? Long. Long. <laughs> okay, listen, let's We're get like you. We're like the naughty kids in the class. No, listen, uh, we'll get you another uh, onion. Please, excuse me. Can I have another onion from there, please? Because you need them to be uh, chopped long. Like this, sure. yeah? So we're going to do three vertical cuts from side to side in the aubergine. Like... Yeah, no, not, no, don't cut from the inside. Let me show you how. Oh, yeah. Guys, only one Not all of them. Not all of them. Okay. Only cut the tip of the garlic. Beat them and cut the tip. No, no, the tip. Yes. Ahmed, oh, no, we haven't put this in yet, have we? No, that's for another thing. Okay. That's for the tabbouleh. Just checking. Yeah. <laughs> but we soon got the hang of it and started turning up the heat with the chilli. Chilli spice. Chilli spice. Now, the 
we're going to start by maximum heat maximum and then we're going to go to the medium heat. Yeah. And guys, you have very strong chilies. So, so how strong? How strong? 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 Yeah, very strong. So long, okay. Scotch <laughs> bonnet. Not this again. Scotch bonnet. I've heard of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you not learn from last time. Do you want to put your finger in? I think you go crazy. Get it all. Put your finger in. Only if you put your finger in. Get it all. I mean, you up to you. I like it all. This and the tomato, and then the oxo cube as well. Yeah. Sorry. So this, this, this. And that tomato paste. Did the tomato paste? That's the chili, no? And that chili. All right. Once we'd made our dishes, we had a little bit of time to chat to Ahmed about his story. My mom passed away when I was 16, 17. Uh, my dad passed away when I was 7. So I had to learn how to cook. So I started learning how to cook. And in Red Cross, all the teams couldn't always have takeaways. So come on guys, I'll cook for you. And they were helping me cooking and became a hobby for me. I enjoyed cooking class. And if you notice, during the class, I wasn't feeling the pain. I, yeah, I noticed that. That you're out of your body. And then the time came that we had all been waiting for, sitting down to eat what we had made. Someone called Wa'al Kafuri, he's one of the top romantic singers in Lebanon. Like he's the symbol of most romantic music. So, how did you find the class? So good. How did you find it? So good. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> the food was amazing and I learned a lot from Ahmed. We made a plan to meet the next morning and I attempted uh, early that day to bake for the occasion. But of course, when you're trying to impress someone, uh, the cookies that I made went totally wrong. So we had no snacks. Um, but I very much hope that you enjoy the opportunity to hear a little bit more about Ahmed and his story. If you could give us a little introduction to who you are and just tell us a little bit about you, that would be great. My name is Ahmed Sinno, originally from Lebanon. I've been in the UK for almost six years now, and I'm still in the asylum process. What was the reason that you originally left Lebanon? Uh, my life was in danger, but I was shot from 13 years ago, and I was shot again from six years. So I just fled to the UK. That was my only option that I got. So you were shot twice on two separate occasions? Yes. I didn't realize that it was two separate occasions. I thought it was both the same time. First time I was shot, two bullets where they penetrated me from side to side. And after six years, I was shot again. So that's when you know, okay, someone is out to get me. Yeah, that's when I knew it's dangerous for me to stay there. Not only for me, for me and my family. Ahmed, you worked with the Lebanese Red Cross, right? Uh, yes, I used to be paramedic with the Lebanese Red Cross and a team leader. So it wasn't actually anything to do with your work that got you into this position? No, nothing related to my work. Was it after the first time that you were shot or the second time that you were shot that you were in a wheelchair? Uh, after the first time. After the first time. Yeah. Okay. 
I was shot from a distance less than seven meters where the bullets had penetrated me from side to side. You now have more of an understanding as to why it was that this happened, right? Yeah, now I got new information about why I was shot, but I cannot uh, disclose it, unfortunately. That is absolutely fine. So after the second time that you were shot, that's when you came to the UK, right? Yes, yes. How did you get here? I came by airplane. And um, that's when you, that same day, applied for asylum. Yes, I applied on the airport once I entered the UK. Mm -hmm. And things have been difficult for you since then, to say the least, right? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, the asylum process had been really hard so far. But finger crossed that soon it will be solved. Fingers crossed. I, I feel that. I feel that things are about to change for you. So how has life in England been for you? How did it compare? Had you been to the UK before? No, actually, it's my first time in the UK. Things has been up and down. wasn't always stable. Sometimes you pass through a situation where you are totally down. And others, you just try to stay optimistic. You do your best to be part of the society and to contribute in the society. And this society, um, I mean, this culture is very different from what you'd known in Lebanon, right? Was it different to what you expected it to be here in the UK? You lived in southeast London at first. Yes, I lived in East Dulwich for almost three years, and then I moved to northeast. Actually, I had this idea that the British people, the Armenian, I visualized this in my mind. But to be honest, I was totally wrong. For the past six years, all those that I met had been really amazing people. They changed my opinion toward British people. I'm very glad to hear that. I have to say, I don't think that Londoners are the most friendly people, but I guess it's a case of getting a little bit below the surface. Maybe not on your everyday interaction, like when you walk past people, but... When you get to know people, To maybe. be honest, it had been really fascinating, even with those that I don't know. Being on a wheelchair, sometimes I'm just pushing, going up a hill. People just come and offer help. People I don't know, those who are British and from different nationalities. So people had been really good with me, whether offering help, whether on the road, in the supermarkets, in any mean of life that have been going through. People were just trying to offer help, trying to be by my side. And I didn't expect this, to be honest. I thought that life gonna be that much harder based on people characteristics. I'm really happy to hear that. That's really beautiful. I mean, I have to say that even meeting you outside today, I probably spoke to more people in that like one minute because those girls were like, oh, are you looking for a, this guy down here? He's looking for Kenda Street. We just helped him immediately. It's like maybe it's you that brings out something positive in people. <laughs> uh, could be. I have no idea, but it's really nice to find people that are offering help either to me or to others. This means that there's still hope in humanity. Humanity isn't totally gone yet. 
I feel that. I feel hope still. And I feel hope that anybody who now understands and knows your story, surely they cannot deny you the right to live in the UK. I mean, you have a partner here now too, right? Yeah, I have an amazing partner. She's an angel, to be honest. God had sent her to me at the time where I needed her the most. Because if she wasn't in my life right now, I am sure that wouldn't be in this place mentally. She had been such amazing support to me. That's so beautiful. She's British, right? Yeah, she's British. She's she's an angel. How did how did you meet? We met uh, through a friend, and things went on and uh, for the lockdown, and then we stayed in touch, and uh, we're here now. Is there anything since you've been here in the UK that you feel is an important aspect to talk about in your journey, whether that's your journey with the home office or how you were treated as someone seeking asylum or anything that you really would like to kind of bring up and talk about? Uh, I just want to focus on the beauty of having charities that support asylum seekers and refugees and that helps them in integrating, such as My Grateful and the Local Welcome, these two charities I am part of. And they had really helped me to integrate more in the UK society, to meet amazing people, make great friendship. And later on, these two charities became a family to me, more than just a charity or friends. Let's talk a little bit about My Grateful, because that's how we met. Right. And me and Josh were lucky enough to come to your class last night, which I'm so happy that we made that happen. And just for a bit of context, My Grateful is an organization that supports refugees, asylum seekers, migrants with integration through cookery classes and providing a platform for them to teach others through food and I mean, I feel like food is one of those things that transcends borders like music or sport. Um, but yeah, let's talk about how you first met the My Grateful crew and how you got involved. It all started when uh, I made a charity dinner to support Local Welcome, where I organized a huge event. Me and my friends, they were there to help me. And we sold 60 tickets and it was great and successful event where we managed uh, to collect money for local welcome by selling these tickets. And then one of my friends who attended the event, he said, since you like to cook, why don't you join this organization that's called My Grateful? And she gave him the email. So I've sent an email to My Grateful and they replied and I got stuck with them. So now we are a huge family, me and them. And to be honest, my Grateful also had played a major role in helping me uh, to integrate more to the British society and to be able to feel myself home, especially Jess Thompson. She's the founder of My Grateful. At one point, I was about to become homeless, where my case was going through ups and downs. So Jess had told me these words that I'll never forget. She said, no family member of my grateful will ever be homeless. And worst case scenario, you'll come and live in my house. For her saying that, 
It felt as if she gave me a mansion. Her words were really supportive to me. And then after a while, things went on and I was able to have an accommodation. But her support at that time when I needed her the most, she were there. She got my back when I was down. And I'll never forget this. So also, Jess, she means a lot to me because she was there when I needed her the most. So thank you, Jess. Wow, that's a beautiful story. And I haven't met Jess yet, but I hope to because I love what My Grateful does and the fact that you guys not just have a beautiful offering, but also have that family and that community that comes through. I think, you know, I've done two classes now in person, a couple of classes online, and you feel that the chefs are supported, know what they're doing, feel comfortable, feel good in sharing their offering. Yeah, the training that my grateful do to prepare the asylum seekers and the refugees to deliver the cookery class, it's really unique. An artist who perform a theater used to come and teach us body language, how to communicate with others, how to deliver your thought, how to speak, how to interact with others. They gave us a lot of tips to know how to be a successful and professional chef. That's so cool. How much training do you guys get? Uh, in the beginning, before you deliver a live cookery class to people, we're talking like before the pandemic, we used to go training for three months, where every week we used to meet, and every week there used to be uh, more we need to prepare for, for next week, and we used to talk to us about different types of spices, things related to food, teach us tricks, how to get the attention of the clients, when you should speak, when you should listen. So they taught us a lot of things that really helped me and other chefs to be able to deliver successful classes. It really shows. The way that you commanded the space yesterday and held the room, I felt like people hung off your every word. You know, when a teacher has that ability, like I remember in school, where some teachers would open their mouth and you would shut up and listen. And that was definitely the case yesterday in the most lovely way that people were engaged and everyone had a really beautiful outcome as well. I think everybody made something delicious, enjoyed themselves. It's a great, great, great thing. How long ago did you start with them? It's almost uh, three and a half to four years now. And were you already interested in cooking? Actually, I find cooking as a hobby and I find passion in delivering cookery classes and sharing recipes. So for me, it's not like a job. It's a passion because my main proficiency, it's so far from food. I am senior data analyst. But life had put me in a situation where I was forced to learn how to cook when I was 16 years old. And in Red Cross, I used to cook for my team. And my grateful had added their touch in, you can say, like sculpting my hobby to take it to another and higher level, to make it more a professional way. Like before, I was an amateur in teaching cookery classes and cooking, but it had moved me and shifted my experience to become a professional in teaching my classes. 
Why do you think that your classes in particular are always sold out? The thing is, I try to deliver a unique class and not to be as the normal or regular cookery classes where you go and you find the recipes in front of you and you just follow the recipe. I like to have my own way of delivering the class where I don't put the recipes and I try to share a lot of tips and the tricks throughout the class. Also, I try to test the knowledge of students in cooking and to put an atmosphere of family to friendly atmosphere and to break the ice in a lovely way so that they will feel as if they are cooking in their own kitchen, not cooking in another space with others. So I try to all to feel everyone as if he is cooking in his own kitchen. It felt like that because cooking in somebody else's kitchen is always a little bit, you don't know where things are, you feel a bit stressed, but I had none of that yesterday. It just felt like, oh yeah, everything's here, everything I need, I'm comfortable and I've got this, basically. Exactly. Also, to be honest, I couldn't have done it by myself. There is a facilitator from my grateful and we have amazing volunteers. So it's not only up to me, but it's also up to this amazing team that's working with me and helping me to deliver this class. You've told us a little bit about your story today and what brought you to the UK. But in the class last night, you didn't really talk about that. Is there a reason for that? Uh, well, my story is, uh, had been published in the Independent newspaper and on my grateful. Now, I don't have any problem sharing it. Like if someone asks me any question, I would just go through and give him some information about my background. I don't have problem in that. But yesterday, like, we didn't get into it because we were busy in cooking and the preparation. Uh, but usually I don't mind sharing some of the information about uh, my case. So more a case of people ask, you know, and I guess you're right that, like, in the situation yesterday, it's not something that was necessarily relevant. You were our teacher. We were learning to cook. We were learning about Lebanese cuisine. But I guess for me personally, I'm interested in the whole story behind it. I'm like, okay, I want to know everything. Has your family in Lebanon been able to come over to the UK at all since you've been here? Have you seen them? I've only seen my sister who lives in Canada. She visited me before the pandemic. But my other two brothers are in Lebanon. They cannot come because if they apply for a visa, they will not give them mm. because I'm in the asylum process mm -hmm. so I haven't seen them for the past six years I think that's another thing that people don't realize until you know this pandemic and we've actually all experienced maybe not being with our loved ones as much as we want to be imagine that for six years that's something that I think is also a really really important point to bring home here and finally that feeling that concept of home home what does that look like for you what does that mean You've reached a phase through these six years where I have no idea where is home anymore. As if I lost the sense of being connected to a place. You can say that this place feels like home, but it's not home. It's nice, it's beautiful, but it's not home. So you reach a phase where home where I cannot go I am here that's not home 
so it's like a conflict that keeps on turning round and round okay if this is home why I cannot live my life normally but I feel happy I feel like it is home you know it's contradictory ideas keeps on turning round and round in your brain trying to sort that out as if you're looking for the exit but you cannot find it because it's not in your hand to move out to the real life it's not in your hand to become a human being once again your life is in the hand of someone that you are waiting for him to say okay let him become a human being once again it's out of your control right there's nothing that you can do apart from trust and surrender to it do you feel like you have a trust that on some level there is some kind of path or rhyme or reason to everything that's happening everything in life happens for a reason but you cannot know the reason behind it till maybe after five years ten years you cannot know but you know it happened for a reason you just need to believe in God and make sure that God he will never do anything to hurt you he will be there for you you just need to believe belief and hopefully things will work in the future and things will get better there's always a light at the end of the tunnel it's there sometimes it's not meant to be to happen right now it will happen I feel that I feel that very strongly you know I wouldn't describe myself as a religious person because I don't particularly follow one religion but I do have that real trust in God in the fact that you know things happen and unfold as they should whether we know or understand it or not there's a power that is controlling all this universe what it got is it how it works I don't know prefer not to think about it it's there and I like it and I'm trying to be part of it as long as you're not hurting anyone. Just stay out of bad things. Exactly, exactly that. I couldn't have put it better. Is there anything else that you want to share today that you think is important for the Worldwide Tribe listeners to know, to understand, anything that they might be able to do to help when it comes to hearing your story? They feel mobilised, they want to do something I mean, first of all, book a cookery class. That's a, a, a real easy call to action that I'd recommend to everybody listening. But is there anything else? If there's like a solicitor who can give me more advice of how maybe can see things from your perspective that can help my case, that's one. And another thing, if there's anyone can help me in having a scholarship to do my master's degree, because I was accepted to do master's at Birmingham University to do a master's in strategy, but I couldn't get a scholarship for that. So also, if there's anyone can help in these two things, it would be really amazing. In strategy? Yeah, emphasizing in entrepreneurship and innovation. Wow. 
They even gave me a scholarship for £5,000, which is the maximum that they give. But I cannot pay the rest, so I am stuck. Is that still available to you? I can reapply to it, yeah. Okay. Like they said, any time when you're ready, the scholarship yes. it can be yours. But I cannot complete the rest, so that's why I couldn't go any more forward. Okay, but it's not going anywhere. That's good to know. I just really appreciate you for actually coming on, being real, sharing your story, and also for yesterday, for that class, you know, I've learned a lot. The fact that you can freeze coriander, <laughs> that was one of the things that I'm like, yes, I needed to know that. I always buy it and never quite use it all up. Well, maybe someday I can do like uh, some radio show or talk show. Honestly, <laughs> I think that already, like your voice, I could listen to for hours and hours. Maybe that will come from this podcast. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? So if someone is interested in me having a, a radio show, I'm available. Yeah, or voiceover work, you know. I'm up for it. <laughs> it's an option. <laughs> but thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. To find out more about My Grateful and book a cookery class, check out their website, www.mygrateful.org. I'd love to know your thoughts on this episode and what you'd like to hear more of on this podcast in the future. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. Other actions you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and buy a t-shirt or a hoodie or donate. All details are in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. Big shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.